Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses. Um, joining me is an entrepreneur who said that SaaS is great. And one of the beauties about SaaS is that you get a customer, they pay you monthly or annually, and then you get that recurring business with them, recurring relationship, but also recurring revenue from them. And everyone talks about how can we get more of those customers because they're just so valuable. But he said, what about churn? What about the, the need to pay attention to when they're so unhappy that they leave and what impact that has. And maybe we could actually reduce churn. And if we reduce churn, it's better for revenue growth than going out and looking for more customers. So Shrisha Ramdas focused on that. He created a company called Strike Deck. They are the customer success platform that prevents churn. I invited him to talk about that and about his other businesses. And we could do it thanks to two phenomenal sponsors. The first you know, Shrisha, before we got started, you said, Andrew, you're so, like, I've got a good ability to talk now, right? I used to suck. Well, this company, Unbound, said, how about we pay you, write out the things that you do, and just publish it. I said, you know what? I'd like to do that. So I did it. If you want to get that, it's for free right now, available to you, all the listeners at unbounce.com slash Mixergy. They're a landing page creation site. They just put it up on their site. No need to even give an email address. Just go to unbounce.com slash Mixergy. They're a sponsor and so is HostGator. But I'll talk about HostGator later. First, Shrisha, good to have you here. Good to be here, Andrew. What's the revenue at Strike Deck? How high did you get it? So I cannot um, mention, talk about the revenue of Strike Deck. We are a public company, Medallia, but uh, we're doing well. Happy to share that. Because you got acquired. Do you remember the day of the acquisition? Oh, absolutely. Can't forget that. Tell me about it. Uh, that was May of 2019. And, um, you know, uh, it was a great day because Medallia was a leader of customer experience and them acquiring us was a big deal for the entire Strike Deck team. And this was just before they went public? It was uh, about three, four months before they went public. And that was, again, amazing because I always had in my bucket list uh, to be there in the company when it goes public. And so that was a big day as well. You got to go. Where did they go public? What market? Uh, New York. Yeah. New York. Uh, so you got to go to the New York Stock Exchange. That's right. You got to see. I went to see it with uh, the company my wife works for. It is just an amazing experience. I hope they don't get rid of it because of COVID. What was it like for you? It, it was great. You know, it was uh, thankfully before COVID. Nowadays, I'm seeing uh, people do it over Zoom, which is yeah. not just imagine that, but uh, uh, the energy, the atmosphere, uh, and with a lot of people, you know, who have been in this journey for a long time feeling that they've accomplished something great. You know, that whole whole atmosphere is phenomenal. Plus that atmosphere. When I saw Brian Chesky of Airbnb do the whole thing from his, I guess his living room or his house, in some ways it's appropriate because Airbnb is all about sharing your home. In other ways, it just felt like sad for him. He should get that experience of going to this, what I still feel is hallowed ground. I remember as a kid going to the New York Stock Exchange, getting to see the future of like stock trading in there, getting to see my future. Anyway, um, it's exciting that you got to do that. Any, any way that your life changed after you sold the company? Did you get to buy something fun? Did you get to do something to treat yourself after all this hard work? Yeah. So the one thing that I've had a lot of fun um, after the acquisition is investing in other startups. So uh, that has been phenomenal. I just love this whole startup uh, energy. What do you invest in? What's exciting for you? 
So the one company that I'm really excited about is uh, Tevent. Uh, it's an online event company. Three young guys out in London uh, building the whole uh, event management platform. For managing oh, online events? That's right. Ah, okay. Online conferences. Uh, it's just going beyond just the online meetings. It's the full-fledged uh, conference experience where you have exhibitors, you have booth, you have different parallel uh, ah. tracks, all of that, right? How do you manage it? Can How do you move all that to the internet? That's right. Got, including yeah. video, including like a presentation and all that. Yes. All right. Yes. I want to hear your story, but I've got to tell you about one that I just invested in. A past Mixergy guest, Matt Morales, he said, you know, you know how when you and I, Shrisha, when we get on camera, you you paid attention to your background. I love the backdrop over there. I uh, make sure that I've got something in my background, but we pay attention also to the way we look. Did I shave today? Because I want to be at my best. Do I look okay? He said, you know what? What if we do away with the whole thing? And instead we give people avatars that look just like them. We take their face, a photo of their face on their best day, the backdrop, the best way that it looks, not a fake one, though you could do a fake one. And then we have them control it remotely so that if I kind of arch my eyebrows, my avatar will arch her eyebrows. If I smile, it looks so real that when he did a demo online, I said, okay, that's you, right? And then you switch faces to this older man. He said, no, no, the whole thing was avatars that I was controlling with my face. Anyway, the beauty of it is um, that it allows us to have these remote meetings low bandwidth and without having to worry about how we look because we'll always look at our always look our best and people don't even have to know that we're using it it's called the oasis it's great that sounds phenomenal andrew i am i am really excited about that one i know that that you're supposed to invest with the idea that most startups will fail and all that and be accepting i want that one to do really well because i need that i'm tired of looking my best i want to look a little sloppy sometimes um (laughs) (laughs) all right Speaking of uh, my best, let's go into your story. Where'd you come up with the idea to focus on churn? It was at your previous company, wasn't it? Yeah. So my previous company that was uh, focused on marketing automation, Leadformics, got a, it was acquired by Calidus SAP. And uh, when I was doing that, I felt um, we we're always focused on new logo acquisition, and we don't do enough uh, about the gold mine that's in our backyard, right? Which is our existing customers. And there's got to be a better way of managing your customers. And so in that company, I, I told our head of support that we are not going to have support. We are going to have customer success. Your title is going to change to VP customer success. And I remember he mentioned that he would walk in to a customer and give them their business card. And uh, the comments that he would get is, uh, that's a cool title, right? What do you guys do, right? And so that was inspiring. And so when I came out of... Um, SAP Calidus was like, what should I do next? And I felt, um, how would I, if I continue on the customer journey, as focused from, you know, a lead being generated to a sales getting closed with marketing automation. How about if I go from close deal to a successful customer? You know, and that's how it all came about. Ah, because Leadformix was all about how do we get businesses more customers? And you said, all right, let's now think about how do we, what do we do with those customers once we land them? That's right. That's right. That's how it came about. And then this whole, um, the board philosophy, if you take any uh, technology firm, their board always focuses on new logo acquisition. And uh, I feel not enough is being done. And so that's why I, uh, my favorite um, uh, phrase these days, Andrew, is NRR is a new ARR, 
which is net MRR is the new ARR? NRR, net retention rate. Okay. Is the new ARR. Ah, net retention rate. You know what? It's so frustrating that it's, it until recently, it's been really hard to even figure out how long you're retaining your customers, right? But yeah. now I see Stripe is building it in. Before there were some add-ons that did it. It's It's been tough to measure it, let alone improve it. Can we go back a little bit? Leadformix, that was your first startup that you co-founded, right? That's right. Where did you get the idea for that? So that uh, we got inspired by this whole digital movement. Everything uh, that was offline was moving online. And you start with your daily newspaper, right? So uh, a lot of them were struggling for existence. And this whole search engine optimization was coming about. And that's where I felt like there should be a better way of nurturing prospects and taking them to the finish line, right? And so that's what uh, drove the original concept of marketing automation. And initially, Andrew, we were focused on sales. And uh, we would go in, pitch to the sales guys. This is an amazing way to close a deal. And the sales guys would direct us towards the marketing folks. And they would say, the marketing guys are the ones who are controlling the budget for the tool. And then the marketing guy said, we need a better way to manage the email communication that happens. So it's not just nurturing the deals, nurturing the prospects, but also uh, engaging with them with email content. And that's how we, we build the solution geared towards marketers. So you did email marketing and what else? Email marketing and what we used to call drip marketing, which is uh, uh, design the workflow that if Andrew opens the email, but does not engage with us. Mm-hmm. Then after five days, how do you send a reminder saying, hey, Andrew, we are here to help you with this this whole process. We can take you through the demo and so on. So marketing automation, but largely done by email. Is that right? That's right. What about this? When you guys sold, um, I see TechCrunch says, Leadformix lets B2B vendors turn anonymous visitors to their site into qualified leads by te- by identifying potential customers and reporting their intent. How did you do that? That seems like it's much more than email marketing. Yeah, so um, as I mentioned, our core solution initially was built for the sales. So we said, website is your primary destination. It showcases your company, you're offering your product. So anybody who's coming to the website, we should be able to figure out what is the intent that they're coming uh, to the website for, right? Based on how they browse the website. So uh, yeah. we, we went and found their firmographics, which is, are they coming from Cisco? Are they coming from IBM? If they are coming, are they looking at pricing, which means that they're ready to buy, or they are just looking at some of the collateral, which means that they are still doing their research. So based on that, we would figure out the intent as well as, as uh, some proxy information about the prospect. That's the type of stuff that now um, Active Campaign and others do for SMBs. You That's did right. that when? What year? So this was back in uh, 2009. Okay. Um, so um, just the time when uh, Marketo, Eloqua were also going about the marketing automation. We started, except our difference was this lead forensic or lead, you know, um, all the background information about the lead intent that we used to also bring to the table knowing what they're based on what they're doing on the site or also where they came from? Uh, Mainly where they came from and what they're doing on the website. So where they came from showed the organization name and what are they doing on the website uh, demonstrated the intent. Which is now so common now that 
everyone with a Shopify store can pretty much do this. Doesn't Clavio do stuff like this? Maybe not exactly. And, uh, or is it Clavio? I, I never know. Um, act, um, Active Campaign I mentioned, uh, ConvertKit even on the smaller end, Drip does. Yes. And you were ahead. When you were trying to explain this, was it a hard sell to explain to those departments that they should be buying this? Was enterprise accepting of this? Or did they say we already have a solution? Yeah, so it was really tough selling initially, though um, over the years it became easier. Initially, when we used to approach the market marketers, uh, the questions we would get is, what is marketing automation? Or what do you mean by nurturing? Um, yeah. And, and so on. And so we had to explain to them the whole concept of, of understanding the lead details and, and how the workflow and how it'll make their life easier. Right. And so there's a lot of explaining to do. There's a lot of evangelism that we had, we had to do um, in the beginning. How did you learn to sell? You're not someone who, who came from a sales loving background, are you? So that's a great question, Andrew. Um, you know, I was managing engineering team. Uh, I had a fairly big team uh, at Yodli, uh, which was a fintech platform. And uh, uh, we had a P come in, Wobble Pinkus came in and I came out and uh, I was uh, trying to analyze my stint there. And I felt I need to understand the world outside of engineering to engineer, to become a better entrepreneur. And so, because you knew you wanted to be an entrepreneur, you were working for Yodli and you said, at some point I want to be an entrepreneur. You knew your weakness was sales. Okay. So. Uh, absolutely. Right. And, uh, uh, the, why I gravitated towards sales was as engineer, you just curse the sales guys. You curse them for the type of the customers they bring in, ah. you ask for a lot of customization and so on. And yet I felt the sales guys are the ones who are keeping the revenue growing. And so it was like a black box, a mystery for me. And so I wanted to go in and, and figure out firsthand, what is this world all about? And so, um, I went in. Um, I, I went to a, an early startup and begged the founder for a chance, and uh, and and the founder was very open. He said, "You are a, an accomplished engineer. Why do you want to come to the sales side?" And I I told him, "I must. I'm going to be a student again, right?" And so uh, and I wanted it to be tough. I did not want it to, you know, to be. Uh, for me to be treated differently. And so I started with cold calling, Andrew. And I still remember the first call that I made uh, was to Wacom MTV Networks. Uh, Trish Berthuzzi was a guy, I still remember his name. And uh, I was praying to God at that time that it goes to voicemail and I don't have to talk to a person. Yeah. But he, he picked the call and I froze. So, so anyway, so learned a lot from that whole experience. Because Did you close the deal? I closed the deal, yes. After freezing, what did you do to close the deal? And why would they even need Yodely? Yodely was a, a way for companies to let their users log into their bank accounts so they could export data, right? Yeah. So this was not for Yodely. I had already come out of Yodely. This was for um, uh, services from called Catalytic at that time. Uh, okay. And, and um, I froze for a minute, but then... Um, I started speaking and I think I was able to close the deal because I was a technologist, Andrew. So Trish had been through a number of vendors and he was seeing that the project implementations were not going well. And after my conversation, he felt like this is the guy who knows the solution really well. Ah. And he will be on the hook to implement it. And so 
that's where the trust came along. Ah, oh, you know what? It's I would have thought. Look, you don't have the slick voice. You don't have the slick com- the confidence. You don't have the thing that's going to make him love you instantly. But I could see the customers don't want that. They want to feel like they've got somebody who can implement, someone who can who can understand what they need. All right. So you learned to sell, and then you came up with this idea that you needed to create sales automation software. You made the first sales calls the way that you talked about now with how you sold to Viacom MTV. Uh, absolutely, Andrew. So um, that whole sales experience, I would say, was, a, was the foundation of all my entrepreneurial experiences. Because I would, um, you know, rather than being, uh, rather than developing the perfect solution, I would go and, and start talking to prospects. And that is important because the prospects would then help you figure out what exactly solution they need. Whether mm. are you on track with the solution that you're building? So early feedback really helped a lot. Because they're basically building it with you. You sold. And how long did it take you to launch the first version? Yeah, it took me about three months to launch the first version. And the first version was really, really light, right? And at that time, your sales is all evangelical sales. So you are going and and seeking out early design partners, and you are promising them a lot, promising them the future. You're telling them that initially it's just a framework, but you can customize it to their needs. They'll benefit from that. And eventually you'll get to... um, the the desired state and at that time they can they they are the true ambassadors of the whole program so that's the vision that you would sell okay did you raise any money so uh with leadformix um, we did not raise any capital um because having gone through the yearly experience i wanted to try uh build the company without raising much so why what was the channel what was the challenge with yodely so Yodley, uh, Andrew was in dot-com days where money was always there. And so um, we raised a lot of capital early on. And when you raise a lot of capital early on, you always find a way to spend it. And that's what happened. And so so I realized why one should not be raising a lot of money before they find product market fit. So that was a lesson I, I gained. And from they didn't you. have product market fit because I remember Yodely. They were the ones who powered Mint, for example. Mint was this new amazing software that would allow individuals to, for free, keep track of their spending. And because it did that and made them better spenders, they would be able to offer them credit cards and other things. Well, Mint didn't have a way of logging into everyone's Citibank, Chase, and other bank accounts. So they just partnered up with Yodely. Yodely would take their contact information and log them in. It was it was brilliant. It was behind the scenes and it worked. What was the problem with their product market fit? Yeah, so uh, you're right. Uh, Mint was built on top of Yodly SDK, um, and and a lot of the other financial firms were actually built on top of Yodly SDK. What you know, um, we had a had a great product market fit. Um, we had million users um, pretty quickly after we launched the product, but. Andrew, it took us a lot of time to build that product because uh, we had to bring in all the financial data into the platform. And so we had to work with a lot of the financial institutions. Remember, this is, we are talking about 99, 2000. A lot of the financial um, institutions did not have that infrastructure back then, right? And their website would fail. The accessing the website, their website was really tough. 
And so we had to work with them. So it took a took a time to perfect the solution. Right. Uh, and and so it's the it. it's making the product that customers wanted that was a challenge, not figuring out what they wanted. Is that right? That's right. That's and from right. what I understood, i I'm kind of fascinated by Yodely. They would also have to take people's username and passwords and then scrape the log them in behind the scenes and then scrape the data from the banks because the banks were just that unprepared for online customers who want their data outside of the online site, outside of the bank site, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that, again, is a fascinating story, Andrew. A lot of the, you know, um, a lot of the users would expect all their financial data to be as instant as possible. And so um, we would log on their behalf to the bank servers. Yeah. And as I said, the infrastructure was very poor those days, and we would crash that infrastructure. And so then the data would not be available. And the, the banks and the other financial institutions got pretty angry with Yodli and they would shut the IP down, right? They would not let our traffic come in. And so then we had to go uh, and negotiate with them and we would tell them that it's their users who want the data and they cannot shut their users. Right. And so then, but then we offered to collaborate by either funding a server in their premise or funding the whole XML um, wow. uh, OFX data exchange. I think so. I invested in a in a company called Indonero. At this point, it's almost a decade ago, and they were going to take on QuickBooks and um, allow businesses to have a better online experience. They pivoted since then to doing books for businesses, the the manual part of keeping track of people's finances in QuickBooks. Um, but really? I remember yeah. that. Sorry. I believe they are doing well, Andrew. Now I know I saw I see Jessica Ma on the cover of what was it? It was Inc. Magazine, I think, and she's been sending out some updates. And I'm excited about how they're doing. Uh, but I think that even she, for business customers, had to use Yodely in order to get business customers' data. And when my it, when my bank failed, I was just frustrated. But she said, "This is what we're doing. We this is the world that we're living in right now. But it'll change." And sure enough, it did change. But you know what? It seems to me, Shorisha, like. They needed the money then. If they had to deal with all these headaches that were unforeseen, the money helped them, but you still took a lesson away from it of don't raise money. Why? What was it about the Yodely employment that you had there that told you not to raise money? So, um, you know, when when money is there, um, you just spend. You don't think about... Uh, so what did they spend on that in retrospect didn't make sense? Do you remember? So, so I remember we took our engineering team to Hawaii. We took our services uh, team to Vegas to celebrate our new milestone. So that's the excess spending that happened. And it happened not because of any bad intention. It was, it was a movement back then, right? When every other, other company was spending. And so you were going with the norm. All the employees were expecting, right, uh, back then. And so that's where I feel like if you do not, uh, if, if you are if you're not taking that much funding, you're taking only that much what is required to build the product or for your GTM, then you are you will be conservative in your approach where you need to be. Okay. And so that's what you did when you when you launched your own company. Leadformix, according to TechCrunch, sold in 2012 for $9 million cash. Is that reasonable? That's right. Yeah. Okay. And you were a sole owner of the business? Uh, no, I had a co-founder. Co-founder. Yeah. At that point, did you start investing in other businesses? I did. Yeah. You did. What's your biggest hit? So biggest hit is a company called Workato, uh, which is spelled W-O-R-K-A-T-O. It's uh, now Salesforce, 
work they service now all of them are investors and uh, they raised their last round at a 1.7 billion valuation what did you like about them when you first saw the founders yeah so what was incredible incredible was the founders came from this company called tipco they were like employed uh, third fourth um, employees and so they understood the middleware piece really well andrew of how the data should flow how the data should come in all of that and so they were taking that expertise into integration space and then also the three co-founders knew each other really well one of them had sold um, his previous company to skype uh, and so had great track record so i saw all the signs that this company is going to be really do really well how did you connect with them so um so one of the founder was a his previous company was a customer of leadformix ah uh, okay and so so that's how i got to know him and we stayed in touch and so I was ready to bet on him when he started his why did you sell leadformix uh so we were at that point uh, competing against marketo andrew where we realized that either we had to raise a venture round or look for the option and at that time um um you know the the acquisition offer was there we had two competitive offers and uh, it just seemed right fit and and right timing more importantly and marketo just became a beast right they're just that's right huge i'd hate to compete against them all right let me take a moment to talk about my sponsor and then i want to come back and when you found your idea how did you launch um is what i want to get into so and by the idea i mean for strike deck my sponsor is hostgator and trisha you know that i like to brainstorm with my guests about ideas for what they would what they would launch if they had a hostgator account you and i have talked about this before i think the easiest thing to do is a service business to say i'm really good at this one thing i'm going to launch a service of it and then deal do it for your customers and look for problems and as you find problems that have repetitive solutions create software to solve it right so for example what i might suggest is um right now i think that there's this new job title kicking around trisha something like automation specialist you know like you know there's there are people who are really good at at taking data that comes in from their form feeding it into their email app and then also adding it to the crm and getting it to getting it all over like the stuff that people used to do is now being done using zapier and this and that I feel like that automation specialist with a few great case studies would be an excellent job because you could cut down on the nonsense work that people do and a lot of times when people think they need a, a virtual assistant or another salesperson what they really need is better systems and that would be a good um a good consulting agency to create and that automation expertise what do you what do you think do you have any idea for if you want to create an agency what it would be uh i i love the automation agency concept that you just mentioned i'm also finding um, a lot of new um, software players are doing low code no code no uh, code yeah so uh, low code software still means that you need to do some amount of coding uh, so, low code as opposed to no code yeah 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 so um, but who will do that low code so i think there is an agency idea right there and what you mentioned you know if that low code can be can be convert transformed into an automation scenario more power to it okay you know what i've got a great i've got an example of someone who did this one of my past interviewees uh run squared away she said look they're military wives like me they need jobs 
and they could do great virtual assistant work from anywhere. And they're the kinds of people who can make things work and be counted on. So she created an agency called Squared Away, which does it. And she started paying money for all these different apps, CRM and, uh, and a way to keep, to keep track of her people's hours and all this stuff. And I didn't realize it, but the cost was just going up and up and up on that. She had uh, one of my friends, Matt Galligan, um, create using Coda um, everything that she does with all these other apps in one little app. And Coda is basically a no-code solution, right? It's a way of cre- of turning, they, I think they used to say turn spreadsheets into, into apps, but it's a little bit more complicated than that, right? Absolutely. That now is software basically perfect for her. Her costs went way down. She doesn't have to pay for all these different apps. She now has this one app that she pays for and gives her everything she needs in the order that she wants it. And it's all because Matt set it up. That is, uh, that's, that's an example of what an agency could set up. Absolutely. That's exactly what I was mentioning. Similarly, Airtable and Notion, people right. have done wonderful things with those two tools as well. All right. And uh, Matt Galligan is MG. If anyone creates that, you should be hitting up MG on Twitter. Uh, Matt Galligan, brilliant guy. All right. And what you need when you do that is a basic website, right? To let people know that you're in business and to get started and to get that basic website, go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy. If you throw that slash Mixergy at the end, they'll give you the lowest possible price. And frankly, they'll take good care of you no matter what. And the price is really inexpensive. The service is really great. And I've been using them for a long time. Go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy. All right. So Strike Deck, I know now where the idea came from. You started having customers, uh, you started interviewing customers. Who did you talk to and what did you learn? Yeah. So we uh, spoke to about 300 odd customer success leaders, practitioners, Andrew. And um, what we wanted to understand was uh, day in life of a CSM, how does a CS leader's perspective, you know, what are their, what are the daily activities that they do? What are the processes they are involved with? And more importantly, what are the things that they do in spreadsheet? Because if they are doing things in the spreadsheet, that can be transformed into a software, right? So we wanted to, to have all those scenarios, right? Are they doing health scoring in spreadsheet? Are they tracking which customers are healthy, which customers not? Are they tracking customer lifetime value in a spreadsheet? Are they tracking uh, the revenue expansion in the spreadsheet? So we wanted to know all of that. And that's where uh, we were out for it, mission uh, finding uh, uh, scenario that we were on. Can you explain what a customer success leader is? Yeah, so uh, customer success overall, Andrew, is a new phenomenon thanks to the SaaS, uh, where, as you mentioned, recurring revenue is key. And so people uh, understood that in order to retain, in order to expand, and more importantly, in order to turn customers to uh, uh, to an advocate, right, where they start referring other leads to. So it was important to uh, be proactive with customers. You just cannot wait and let them figure out how to use the product. You have to guide them on how to leverage the product. You have to guide them on how to get to their outcomes. And so that's where uh, this customer success group came along. And um, uh, the leader of the customer success group is either the chief customer officer or VP customer success. And you were looking for a certain size company. What was the size? Yeah, so we were looking at uh, uh, companies that were above million in revenue. Uh, 
1 million to 10 million in revenue we know that uh, we knew at that time that we could not go to the larger companies because we don't have that credibility but company startups of size of 1 to 10 million would be uh, willing to give us a chance would be willing to be a design partner and they'd have enough customers i'm imagining to where churn could be an issue could be measured could be improved that's right that's okay right. and so what did you see that they were doing in spreadsheets so all of them were were running uh, health scoring uh, algorithms in spreadsheet uh, they would have this formula by which uh, they would compute uh, red green yellow uh, red green orange uh, for their customers where they are mm-hmm. based on uh, based on uh, how long is the contract how are they using the product uh, the usage data how many support tickets they have open right if there are a lot of support tickets that means this customer may be frustrated uh, and if there are no support tickets could that also be an indicator that they're not using the software exactly. or were there others it's that so they were manually keeping track of how people were using their their software that's right huh. and, and that's okay. really tough andrew because uh, in order to keep that updated they would need to import that data into a spreadsheet and so they would have to do manually every single day okay and so now that you knew that what did you think the first step was to fixing it what's the first version so the first version of the product we had uh, data coming in from the crm from the support ticketing system and the usage those three data sources we focused on how do we okay. bring that data in to our platform and then showing them the visualization of the three thing that we called as customer 360 so in one glance they knew everything about the customer all the interactions and uh, then we provided this uh, this uh, algorithm uh, screen where they can go and figure out what parameters can influence the health score and so for example if you take mm-hmm. usage you know have been have they been logging into the product every single day have they uh, have they been using this key feature every every day um, of all the features that they are using does all the feature contribute to the perceived value that they are getting from the software and so they already had software in place to measure usage to keep track of whether each customer was using the key features they did have that so a lot of the firms at least had google analytics uh, in place as you know google analytics is free so a lot of them had or andrew they were putting that data into their own database so we would go into the database and track they had some logging in there about about how the customers were about using individual customers to know if they were using it okay That's and right. then for crm what do you get out of the crm so crm we would get who's the stakeholder that would help us to track whether the stakeholder is still in the job or not how long is a contract a 3 year contract is obviously more healthy than one year contract right and then we would understand revenue you know where they are in terms of revenue if all the customers are they on the the on the uh, lower end of the revenue band or are they are on the higher end because the lower end tend to be um, more churn trigger friendly okay so you're sucking in all this data you're analyzing it and then you're giving them a dashboard that says where each of their customers are right color yeah. coding i'm guessing like they did in their spreadsheets that's right that's right and so mm-hmm. uh, we would you know if a customer goes from green to red then we would provide the notification saying that these three customers are in red 
please take proactive action now, right? Set up a follow-up call, uh, guide them on where they are struck and how to go move forward. The advanced notification was around customers who turned red and the renewal date is closer. And so that means the time for action is now, right? You cannot afford to wait because the renewal date is coming closer. You know what? This, this I don't mean to put it down, but it doesn't seem like it's that complicated. Now that could be done using no-code solutions, right? Yeah. So it where it gets complicated, Andrew, is mm-hmm. that the data coming from different sources, generally there's no way of figuring out a common customer ID, how they'll all come together. So the data mapping, the data transformation is really complex in this case. The health scoring, once all the data is in the place, health scoring... The simple health scoring can be done with a low-code solution spreadsheet. But if the if the uh, if there are like we have customers who have got 36 parameters going into the health scoring calculation, that then becomes difficult. Okay, we so are, it's how do we get the data from the various places that the company has it in, whether it's even accessible or not, is a question mark. I imagine, right? Yeah. And then how do you get it in? And then basically, you could do the health score easily unless they have way too many parameters, in which case it becomes more complicated. All right, but we're still looking at version one. Did you give this away to customers for free for feedback? Do I understand that right? Yeah, so uh, initially we gave it free and then um, after a specific period, we started charging a small nominal amount uh, just so that they have some skin in the game. How much were we talking about? We're talking about $500 per month. Oh, got it. For enterprise, that's nothing, but you want to see that they're at least putting in their credit card. That goes under the, the off credit card authorization requirements, right? They don't need to check with the boss. Okay. How, how did you do with those customers? Uh, so it was great. You know, from the feedback perspective, once the data started flowing into our platform, we could ourselves start seeing the usage patterns. You know, how long would it take them to onboard? How long would it take to invite other users into the platform. How are they? Um, they w- what feature are they? Are they finding value in? So those that kind of feedback helped us to iterate on the on the product and uh, helped us to come up with the future versions. So let me see if I understand so far what I've taken away from this. Number one, you're recognizing you have a problem yourself. You want to know that you're not just closing more and more sales, but that you're keeping the sales you've got, right? Yes. And so the first step is understand there's a problem. And in your case, it's you had it. Then the second step was talk to people who could experience the same problem. In fact, first, narrow down who you want to talk to. You didn't talk to everyone who has a churn problem. You said they have to have at least $1 million to $10 million in sales. You don't want them too too early. You don't want them too late. And then you find the right person in the company. You said it was the customer success lead. And you're asking them, how are you doing this? Is this a problem for you? Am I right? Yes. And then the next step was to say, would you pay if we solve it? And you gave them a nominal price. Then you created the first version. How how minimum was the minimal viable product on this? Yeah, so it was pretty minimal. Looking where we are today, it was bare bones, uh, Andrew. So it had just the, the basic import facility of some of the data sources. It had uh, you know, a simple customer uh, health scoring algorithm and uh, some key activities that were uh, that that got created once you have those notifications. 
So it was bare bone. But today, okay. like for example, where we are today, we have a lot more automation. We talked about automation specialists. We have way more automation today, recognizing the fact that customers can be segmented as high touch and low touch. Um, if they're not paying that much revenue, they are in the low touch band, and that means you cannot afford that many um, that many human um, mm. intervention or engagement on that particular customer, and so you need to have a way to automate the whole process. How did, and I think now you also will be able to signal that someone is likely to churn based on how they're acting in relation to how other people who have churned have acted, right? That's right, right. So okay. uh, once the uh, historical data comes in, Andrew, you can figure out the patterns on what's leading to the churn, right? And uh, then you can apply that those patterns on your current customers and figure out who are the most likely to churn. Okay. But at this point in the story, you've got a few customers, they're paying you, you then go back and try, well, you have to go and find more customers. What did you do to find your next batch of customers? Yeah, so at that point, once we once we felt we had the, uh, we had a version that people would like, would appreciate, then uh, now it was a time to to build process to scale, right? And so then I went and hired my first uh, sales rep, Andrew. Uh-huh. And um, so that because founder selling is one thing um, because founders are passionate about the space. And so just because of our passion, we can convince people to buy. But we now had to figure out, you know, are the customers, can we scale the whole process? And that's where the new sales rep came in. And so I trained the new sales rep, went on calls with him, and then uh, left him alone to figure out the next path and and see how he performed. But it was still outbound sales to companies that hit the criteria that you mentioned before. That's right. It was still outbound um, because I wanted to see um, more customer adoption before we turn on the marketing program. Did you ever get to the marketing part before you uh, yeah, sold? Absolutely. You did. Yeah. Where did that go? So... Uh, Marketing was more, I would call it more growth hacking, uh, Andrew, because, uh-huh. uh, you know, we did not have the problem of budget plenty. Um, we were always um, short on that. So we had to be creative in, in how we go to the market. And so, um, you know, the few channels we relied on was obviously website, search engine, more content, putting more content on the website. We created a best practices guide. We created a template book. We had infographics. Uh, we created a lot of infographics. We created a lot of blog posts. It's and all then, about the customer success leader, what they need to know, what someone who's doing the job would want to know. That's right. right. Okay. That's right. You're saying, and then? And, and then uh, we decided to... Uh, innovate in terms of how we bring the community together. So what we did was we started doing meetups, customer success meetups. And so I opened an account in meetup.com. I approached uh, ServiceNow, I approached Autodesk to sponsor the space um, and uh, sponsor the, the, the dinner or, or the lunch. And uh, uh, both both the organizations came forward in supporting us and so started doing meetups. And today the, the customer success group that we created in the meetup is one of the largest customer success community on the meetup group. What do you do now? Is it all done online? 
it's it, now it's all done online. Yeah, yeah I, I miss those days where where we used to interact uh, and love the collaboration at that time. I do too. I love seeing people in person. The I still have not found an online equivalent. It's just too easy to to stop online, you know, and to get right down to the point where offline is more. It's more relaxed. We take your time. You wander a little bit in conversation. Um, how did you end up connecting with Medallia? So um, we were uh, come 2019, Andrew, early 2019, I was thinking, uh, you know, uh, my sales team is small. How do I expand my coverage? And that's when I felt like uh, channel partnership is is good thing to consider because if we set up uh, good channel partners, then um, they're going to their customer base and that gives us wider distribution. And uh, started talking to uh, three companies, uh, you know, Pendo, Segment, and Medallia. And uh, with Segment, we went and participated in their marketplace. With Pendo, we started co-selling. And then uh, with Medallia, they asked us to do a proof of concept. Uh, and so we uh, did the demo of our platform. We took in their data. We, we showed what our software can do. And at that time, uh, Medallia felt that since they do customer experience, customer success is, is close to the philosophy that they have adopted in customer experience. Because customer experience, Andrew, is uh, outside in. You get the explicit feedback from the customer. And customer success, I view as as uh, inside out, which is implicit feedback that we gather from the data. And so uh, getting them both side by side next to each other made sense. So that- Wait, what, is, what does Medallia do? So Medallia is customer experience. What does uh, that mean? I see so, that their home, their tagline, at least on their homepage, it says, growth happens with experience, turn signals into actions that drive growth. Yeah, so um, Medallia is- um, um, is a customer experience platform. What that means is basically they are taking in signals from every interaction that's happening, whether it's chat, whether it's video, whether it's in call center. Surveys, uh, I see. Centers, uh-huh. Surveys um, and so on. And then bringing that together to create the customer journey uh, analytics. And that gives a lot of these organizations, you have all the, almost all the Fortune 500 companies are using Medallia and and you would find that uh, they live and breathe that customer journey, right? How do they ensure that the customer is having a great time with their service or the product? Based on what the customers, how the customers are talking to the company. That's right. If God, it's all, the, it seems like it's all that, right? All right. about the way that the customer explicitly talks to the company via surveys, as I said, via uh, speech, text messaging, and so on. Am I right? That's right. That's right. Okay, and then what you do is say, all right, once the how's the customer using it, and what does that tell us about whether the customer will stick around? Is that right? That's right. Okay, and so that was the combination. You said they're dealing with the same customers as you are. Maybe they could resell your software. They then said, well, yes, but how about if we do it as as a buyout? Is that That's what happened? That's right. Okay. All right, and then the segment part. You were in this in segments marketplace. Uh, that's right. Segment, uh, which recently got bought out by Twilio. Um, so we. Um, uh, what does Segment in- do? So Segment uh, is 
is in the category that's called CDP, which is customer data platform. So they are essentially think about them as a warehouse that contains all the information about a customer. So it, it goes and, and it's, it's in the warehouse. And then from the warehouse, anybody can go in and pick that data, right? That the, that the organization authorizes. Got it. So anything that a customer does, they've got Instacart on their site. Anything that I might do on Instacart, like what I bought, what credit card I use with it, where I live, all that is housed in one place that then other departments can tap into, like engineering, like marketing. Is that right? Yeah. So think about your customer of Instacart, but before you used Instacart, you went to the Instacart website and registered and signed. And before that, you may have researched. So when you were there, not as a customer, but as a prospect trying to understand their service, there's, um, uh, there's data that you're leaving on the website. That goes into segment. Then Got once it. you become customer, now you're, you're, registered, you're registered, right? And that information goes into the segment. And after that, you start doing transactions. Then that goes into segment. All of that data is there in the segment as a warehouse. So one big database of it that then is more accessible to the other teams in the company. That's right. Okay. And then what was your connection to them? So we were, um, you know, having all the data housed in segment gave us easy way to take that data in. And so it it saved uh, effort at our end to combine the data. Uh, that if a company already has all this data coming in from their customers, they might as well do something with it. And the number one thing you want to do, well, one of the top things is keep your customers instead of churning them out. Got it. So all this data comes in from segment. You don't have to gather it. You just use it. I see it. Are you still uh, partnering up with them with segment? Yes, we are still yeah. in their marketplace. Yeah. I've heard that that's the segment acquisition and the way that uh, Jeff Lawson has grown Twilio is just, it's, he's I mean, become one of the iconic entrepreneurs here. I hear a lot of entrepreneurs try to be like Jeff Lawson, the founder of Twilio, which acquired segment. Um, all right. You sold the company. Life easier now that you're not trying to figure out everything on your own. You have a company behind you. Is it easy? I would not call it easy. I would call it um exciting uh, definitely because uh, now we want to grow the business we want to penetrate every b2b organization out there and we have now the the sales team to do that right so the sales engine is there and so what i have learned from my previous acquisitions andrew that once you are acquired you should not rest you should now think about uh, you as a as a as a knowledge repository, and it's your duty to distribute that knowledge. And the only way to distribute that would be go to each salesperson in the team and then uh, educate them about the product, show them how to sell, and show them the, the value that you create for the, for the prospects and the customers. Why? You just sold it. Why not just move on? Rest, invest. There's, it rhymes. That means it's good advice, right? <laughs> Rest is always good. I'll never deny that. I look forward to every weekend that I get. But um, if you are passionate about something, Andrew, you, it's an unfinished business for you. And right now, customer success is an unfinished business for me. Uh, I I feel like we are only 20-30% penetrated yet. I feel that customer success philosophy will go beyond software companies. And that's why it's an unfinished business. And that's why... Uh, you know, there's still a lot of things to accomplish. All right. How do people connect with you? What's a, what's a good way for them to follow what you're up to? 
uh, LinkedIn uh, is a is a great way to keep in touch with me. Uh, I go through all my LinkedIn emails. You get all the LinkedIn messages. You will read them all. I read them all. Wow. Someone, we should send messages just to see uh, Shrisha respond. You, you don't get overwhelmed by the number of people who are messaging you on LinkedIn, or do you? These days, these days definitely it's getting overwhelming, especially all the different channels you get messages from. Right. Um, but if it's a genuine connection, I would love to respond because I feel every human deserves that respect. All right. I see. Obviously, very easy to find you on LinkedIn. You know, when I was a kid, being named uh, Shuki Khalili was a pain because people couldn't remember it. It sounded so foreign to them. Now, what I've realized is that having a name that's a little bit different makes it so much easier to Google a person, so much easier to find them. I've got some people like Ryan Smith, the guy from Qualtrics. He now has dominated the name Ryan Smith. It's incredibly popular. And so now when I interviewed the founder of uh, uh, LeafLink, his name is also Ryan Smith. I just couldn't find him. So anyway, all that to say is Shrisha Ramdas is super easy to find. You're definitely the most popular Shrisha Ramdas out there. You're in like Forbes, you're on all these other sites and your LinkedIn shows up pretty quickly. So people will be able to reach you. I appreciate you coming on here and doing this interview. And I want to thank the sponsors who made this interview happen. The first, HostGator. If you need a website hosted, if you have an idea, take it to hostgator.com slash Mixergy. And second, I thank Unbounds for encouraging me to write some of the tips that I've used to, I don't even know what's in it for them, Shrisha. They're not even asking for an email address. All right, I shouldn't keep complaining about it. I feel like they could do so much more with this, but I'm also overwhelmed by their generosity. They just said, here, take the money, go write something. And so I did. It's a few tips that I've learned from interviewing that you can use in your daily conversations. And it's available to you right now at unbounce.com slash Mixergy. All right, Trisha, thanks so much for doing this. Thank you so much, Andrew, for inviting me. Thanks. Bye, everyone.